Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media, and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Steve Sharp. Steve is a uh, been around the rock crawling scene pretty much, well, for a, quite a long time. We'll get into all that time-wise and stuff. He hails out of the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, along with uh, some of the others that I have interviewed. So it's been kind of a Midwest thing. But we will uh, we will talk to Steve about all of his endeavors and how he got to where he is in life. Steve, thank you for uh, coming on board and you know spending some time with us and talking about your history and and all the things that uh, you have done around the four-wheel drive industry. Well, thank you, Big. It's a privilege for me to be here to, to have this conversation with you today. Um, really been looking forward to it since we just discussed it a few weeks ago. Um, I'm, it, I feel like it's a big privilege to be here, so thank you. Yeah, no worries. So let's, uh, let's jump right into it. And, you know, where were you born and raised? I was born in, in Portland, Oregon. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and grew up in Vernonia. For those of you that may not know where that is, it's between, let's say, between Portland and Astoria. Okay. In the mountains there on the coast range. Um, we lived at the end of the road, and I spent as much time as I could out in the woods on foot exploring around. Right. Our property backed up to, to forest land, and I knew all that. Well enough that at, you know, when I was eight or nine years old, I had guys coming to me going, hey, where's the deer hiding at? Just because I was always out there. I, I don't know if, 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 you know, I feel fortunate to have that. I'm not sure how forgiving everybody would be if, you, if they asked your, their, if they asked your mom where you were and, and her answer was out in the woods somewhere, maybe back before dark. I think a lot of us, that are over 45, even over 40, you know, grew up in a time where that was okay. I mean, my son is 38, and when he was growing up, it was, you know, 
go out and have fun. Just be be home before dark. Exactly. And and I think that's good for kids, though. I do too, because it makes you independent, and it makes you problem solve, and it makes you learn how to figure out where you're at and how to get where you need to go. Correct. So then, uh, growing up in that—that's pretty rural area. The town's not very big. It is not very big. Um, it's uh, at the time it was—I want to say the town itself was less than three thousand people. Okay. Um, if I missed the bus, I got to you know walk the three and a half miles to school. Um, but there was no railroad track that was abandoned. All the tracks were removed, so I didn't have to walk on the road. We could just walk down the tracks all the way to school. Uh, didn't have to do that too many times because uh, I always got in trouble when that happened. Because <laughs> you'd be late for school. Because <laughs> I'd be late for school. <laughs> and we were, and growing up, you know, we were, my pa- my parents were missionaries. Um, they did church starts in rural, Ar- in rural Oregon in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so I had a lot of opportunities and maybe even some freedom that maybe others didn't have. Um, and it was mostly because I knew that uh, not only did I have to make an example, but I had to keep up the example that my dad was trying to share okay. and trying to set and the precedence that was going on with some of that. Um, so it, was, it made for an interesting childhood growing up. And how long did you live in that area? Uh, we lived in that area till I was... 12, and then we moved closer to Portland um, for another church start. Um, that, and we moved to Banks. It wasn't that much further. You know, it was 20 miles from where we were. Okay. But it was in the valley. And, uh, and same deal. I didn't have as much freedom there, but at the same time, by then I was starting to ride motorcycles and do things that were more, more geared to uh, having, you know, we had space to do, so. Right, uh, and it was still rural. It wasn't like we were in in downtown somewhere. So, in in school, um, how were you as a student? I got by. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> and mostly just because I was bored. Um, right. It wasn't so much that I felt challenged. I, I never really felt challenged. And the things that teachers were trying to challenge me with, I really didn't care about. Uh, they weren't motivators for me. So, you know, I was a C student and got in passed along okay. The only place I did real, really well were in shop classes. Um, we didn't have, uh, where I went, where I was, when I was old enough to do that, uh, we didn't have uh, automotive classes, but we did have shop class or wood shop class. So I, I did take that every year. Um, to me, that was just, that was just a good, play good place where I could do what I really wanted to do, which was build stuff. Right. And that would have been more high school, right? Uh, yeah, I actually started that in junior high. Oh, wow. Yeah, when I was in seventh grade, when I started taking my first shop class. Wow, I wish we'd had shop that early. So then you're taking shop classes. Um, like you said, you're getting by. They're not real motivated. But I know you as a pretty intelligent person. So um, did you pick up any college or did you just jump into trades or what? Um, I was really bored. Um, in fact, my junior year, my, at the end of my junior year, um, my folks relocated to Arkansas 
and I had the option to stay in Oregon and finish my finish high school. Um, but I was like, you know what? I need to, I, I need some more life experience, and if I move across the country, I'll learn something. So I did. Moved to a little town called Mulberry. It's just <laughs> Mulberry, it, not Mayberry. Yeah. Mulberry. But he, and you'd be surprised how much it was like Mayberry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was, uh, there were, I think if I remember right, there were 85 students in the high school. Wow. Um, that was quite a change because I came from a high school where there was 300 per class. Right. Um, so that was, that was quite a change. And it was also the high school I was in in Oregon was one of the most progressive in the state. Um, and I went to rural Arkansas. Um, I made on a roll first time in my life. Wow. Um, okay. That's a change. Yeah, it was a change. And I slept every day because uh, I worked all night. Um, I don't know how I did it. I, it's okay. <laughs> I, I can remember being asleep in history class. And the superintendent of the school happened, happened to walk into the class and he asked the teacher, he says, why is he asleep over there? And the teacher grabbed his ruler and he walked over and he whacked on my desk and I snapped up to attention and he asked me a history question that he'd just been talking about and I told him the answer and he said, he knows the answer. That's why he gets to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's fortunate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had this, you know, we got, and we got grades in that class for um, having notes from his lectures because it was kind of, he kind of ran it like a college course. And uh, the young lady that always sat behind me always was more than happy to share her notes with me. So uh, that made that easy. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. So why was she? Uh, why was she willing to share her notes? I, you know, I never got to really find that out. Okay. <laughs> and it may have been because because of, between changing states and stuff, I had the classes were in different orders. Ah. So the history class I was in was actually a sophomore class instead of a senior class. Um, so I was in there with all the sophomores. Okay. So that could have been part of it. Makes um, sense. But I don't know. Did you, uh, did you participate in any athletics? I did not. Um, I was always asked to by, by PE coaches because um, I was a runner. Just for fun, I would run. I didn't think anything of running 20 miles, just for something to do. I always ran cross country. And the steeper and rougher it was, the better I liked it. Okay. Consequently, today, you can understand where my knees are at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, there's no more running or jumping. It's uh, very, uh, everything's very controlled now. Understood. That's what I, that's why I, why I attribute my no running to anymore is because yeah. of all the running I did when I was younger. Now it was other sports that I played that damaged them, but yeah, I've yeah, never loved yeah. running. Even when I did run all the time. I have, a, I have a sister that's an avid hiker and she asked me one time why I didn't, you know, cause she knows I love being out. She knows I love hiking, love, you know, love the whole thing. And she asked me why I didn't hike more. And I said, well, do you remember, you know, and she's hiked the same trail that I used to run. And she's, I asked her if she had ever remembers hiking up the trail up to White Rock. She's like, yeah. 
She said, that's brutal. I said, yeah, I used to go run that after church on Sunday, both ways, <laughs> <laughs> up and down. And she's like, yeah, I go up that and overnight and come back. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's uh, a cumulative it's, wear and tear. Yes, exactly. Um, and I did that up until I was in my early 20s. And I had a pretty serious accident uh, doing that. Um, I actually slipped or tripped and fell and landed on a big rock. Uh, wound up breaking two ribs. Fortunately, didn't puncture a lung, but I still had eight miles to get back to the truck and I was by myself. Wow. That kind of put an end to my running days, uh, at least like that. Um, and then I got where, where it just hurt all the time. So I'd, it hurt when I did it, so I just quit. I quit running, um, but I do still walk as much as I can, hike as much as I can. Um, but that's really what in Scummy started doing motorsports or rock sports was. You know, I have since gotten married. Um, my wife has some health issues that prevent her from having the dirt, the stamina to be out and about. But she loves being out and about, and that's when my off-roading addiction really got going was was after I got married when I was in my early 20s. Okay. Early 20s, you said? Yeah. Okay. And uh, how did that uh, how did that play out? Um, it played out really well. I'd always been outdoors, always been in the dirt, you know, always rode dirt bikes and uh, red four-wheelers and done things that, you know, kept us, out, you know, it kept me out there. Of course, being young, I didn't have any money, so it took a while to get where I was able to. So I was in my late 20s by the time I really got serious off-roading. But that's that's been huge. And it's, it's not only, and you are correct, it is a lifestyle. And when it becomes important enough that that's what you just dream about doing all the time, um, it gets where you do it a lot. Right. You figure it out. Yeah. You figure out how to make it happen. You know, it's kind of like the first time we went to Moab. It was in 2001, and we scrimped and borrowed a truck and a trailer and figured out how to make it all happen, and we went to Moab. And, well, we went back later that fall. I've been back, last week, Last I counted, it's getting close to 30 times since 2001. Nice. That's probably my wife's favorite place. It's probably my, it's right up there with that for me. Um, just because I'm comfortable there, it's homey. Even with all the is the as it's the town itself has changed, the trails have changed. Um, I'm still very comfortable there, right? And I like sharing it, so I'm always looking for you know. So he wants to go. It's like, hey, when do you want to go? Let's go. Perfect. I can I can be there in 18 hours. Let's go. The the first vehicle that you had off road. Um, first vehicle I had off-road was my first car. It was a 71 Plymouth Scamp. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, still in Oregon. Um, I had, I was, that, I always kept getting asked my dad, how come you always need tires for your car? Because I'm wearing them out. And it was, I was wearing them out because I was running up down dirt roads out lot through the mountains and logging roads and all kinds of places that, you know, I probably shouldn't have been, maybe shouldn't have, you know, whatever. 
but we did it. Um, never really had any big issues or anything, but I sure wore out a lot of tires on the on the dirt roads. Right. Um, you know, of course, then you know we're they haven't. Didn't, I still didn't have any money, even though I was working all the time. So I was always buying the cheapest tires I could find, and you know they don't last as long. We all know that. Yep. So, what was your real first off-road vehicle? Um, it was a seventy-two K five. Okay. That was my my own very first off-roader. Um, I got late in high school, through my early twenties. Um, I got heavily involved in drag racing and the show cars in the show car scene. Um, even though I was still taking my show cars out and, you know, going out in the hills on the weekends when I wasn't at a show, um, we were, we were, I was heavily involved in that. Um, and that's where my chat, we'll get into some of that later, but where my chassis design and love for some of that came from. Um, I got, Involved, I got hooked up with a body shop that specialized in 50s cars, and they were needing help doing a subframe, and they figured out that I could get a tape measure and make things square, and I could run a welder. And so I started doing subframes for them, um, and I learned a lot doing that. And that was that still in Arkansas? And that was in Arkansas. Okay. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, the gentleman I worked for had a motto of, uh, you know, it was painted on the, on the, it was painted on the wall in the office. Anybody can do a restoration. It takes a real man to take a perfectly good car and cut it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we did. We took, you know, we made some really beautiful street rods. Um, he had some. He had two at the time. He had a a, a Riddler Award winner um and since he's had a couple more so it was it was a real privilege to work there and i went there just because i liked the cars i started sweeping the floor and where did you get the welding skills um i got some of that at school in school in high school and then i also had a our next door neighbor owned a buffer shop i spent a lot of time in his shop after school and and in the evenings, working other jobs, um, building on stuff. Okay. So then, the when did you when were you able to take shop classes that that provided when you were in Arkansas that where where you got into that? Yeah, when I moved into Arkansas, we didn't. Of course, they didn't have shop. They didn't have any shop classes at the tiny high school, but they did have an ag class. Okay. And they had an ag shop, and you know we did. You know, worked on horse trailers and did repairs for some, you know, for community projects and stuff for, you know, for some of the, for some of the local ranchers and stuff. Um, I learned a lot doing that. It helped me really figure out that I like looking at that blue arc. I like watching it. Um, and that's been a big influence on my life on things that I've done both recreationally and professionally. Okay. So working at the body shop or restoration shop, I guess it wasn't really, it was more of a fab shop, body shop. Yeah, they were, they were, yeah, they did. Yeah. They had one guy in one day that did insurance work. 
to keep money flowing. Right. And they had four other bays that they just did whatever custom stuff people wanted. And they did everything from from really mild, you know, really mild stuff to really stuff that's really off the hook, especially for, you know, for 1990, it was huge. The artistic part of car building was just really starting to take off where it was getting to the level that it is today. Okay. Um, it still wasn't there yet, but it was well headed there. Uh, they really did some really cool stuff. I mean, a lot of, uh, they did a lot of 32 forwards, um, just really cool stuff. How long were you there? I was only there for a couple of years and I really only worked for them about six hours a day because uh, I did have another job that I worked. Um, it's one of those things at that time, you know, I did whatever I had to to make, make ends meet. What was the other job? I worked for a building maintenance company. Um, I was just a janitor. Okay. Learned a lot of stuff about how to manage people there and how to deal with people. And that's and that's been huge because that kept me in that, you know, as I as I as I learned more and moved around more, um, that give me that edge to be able to work with people and to be able, and to be and learn how to be a leader, learn how to get people to follow me. Right now, do you? Uh, I know there's different techniques. Are you a? Uh, what technique do you use to? to motivate people that are working with you or work for you? I'm that guy that'll be standing right next to them. Lead by example. Leading by example, just as hot, just as dirty. And you do that for a little while. Now then they get where they don't want you helping them. Right. You know, they, they, they know that if they really need help, you'll be right there, but they know that you have other responsibilities that you got to take care of. And, you got to make sure that they have the work coming in to make sure, you know, just it becomes a revolving door that they don't want. They want your approval and they want your, and they want to know that you've got their back, but they don't want you to help because that takes away the pride from where they're at. Right. It's good to have employees like that. It is. It makes life so easy. I know yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to back up just a little bit. We're going sure. to talk about we're going to talk about how I got kind of where I'm at. Um, I moved to, I got married in 1993, and did some other, kept just kept working because you know I I tried going back to school, uh, multiple times, um, and life just got in the way and made me have to stop. Okay. Uh, so I never really finished anything school-wise, um, but I always worked hard. Always had a job, at least one, if not two or three or four. Um, and we'd been married a couple of years, and oh, I started having some health issues. And we couldn't figure it out. Nobody figured it out. Couldn't get anybody to listen. Um Anyway, we moved to Wisconsin to live with her aunt and uncle for a little while there in the medical field. They're like, we'll find somebody that will at least listen and try to help you get to the bottom of this. So I gave notice of my job, sold everything that we owned, but my tools and and some furniture that we had in the house. Um, 
my wife's sister or my wife's brother was staying with us at the time. He kept the house that we lived in that we rented and kept up with our belongings that we left behind. And we spent a year there. It was huge. It got her a lot of help that she needed, but it wasn't home. Um, but we also didn't want to move back to Arkansas. And that's how we wound up in Oklahoma. Um, when we came back, when we moved, left Wisconsin, we got to Oklahoma. Uh, and we picked Oklahoma because we had a place to stay because we didn't have any money. Um, at the time, her mom lived here and gave us a place to, to stay while I, we got on our feet. Um, but I rolled into Tulsa in July of 1997 with $150 in my pocket and my toolbox. Um, I had worked my way into doing transmission techni- technician repair, doing R&R, and overhauling automatic transmissions. Um, and I walked into a shop and told them that I needed a job, and I'd come to work for you for half the going rate for 30 days, and at 30 days we'll renegotiate once we know each other. And the boss is like, nobody's ever presented anything to me like that. I got to try this out. So I went to work for him on Monday. On Friday, he brought me my paycheck. He said, you are way above and beyond what you sold yourself as. Um, nobody's working in my shop for that kind of money. And he gave me three times the money that we'd agreed on. Nice. And I looked at the check. And it was three times what I would make in a week at the job I left in Arkansas. Um, I was like, we made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get in you the drive. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we made the right decision. Because um, in Arkansas, I was doing the same job, but I was a shop foreman. I ran the shop when the boss was gone, and I worked a lot of hours at that shop. And I still made three times as much and I worked eight hours a day. Nice. Uh, yeah, I thought I'd, I really thought we'd hung the moon. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I got to looking at that. About six months later, I had to look at all the people I was working with that were 50 or older. I made the same money they did, and they were all broken. I'm like, this is great. We're making good money, but one of two things has to happen. I either have to own this place or I got to find a different career path. Yep. Um, Because this is not sustainable for me to do this kind of work for the next 40 years. It's just not. Um, And my father-in-law was a, 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 manufacturer's rep for a fire protection supplier. And there was a fire, new fire protection distributor opening up in Tulsa, and they needed a truck driver. I was like, well, I know how to drive a truck. I can do that. So I went and talked to him. I went to work for him. It was a very good decision. I'm still with that company. Uh, in October, it'll be 25 years. Wow. Excellent. Uh, I'm, I came real close to leaving once. We'll get there. 
but that allowed that set me up and allowed me to to grow and to finance the lifestyle that we wanted to have. How was the pay comparably to the job you left at the transmission shop? Uh, I made a dollar an hour less. Okay. But that was very short-lived. 18 months after I started there, I was no longer a truck driver. I was only a truck driver for about two months. I started running the warehouse. Then I started running the counter. Then I started doing inside sales. And I was there 18 months, and I was the branch manager. Wow, very good. Yeah. At that point, I really felt like, hey, we're really doing well. So I really started to, what I did was I took my old show truck, which was a two-wheel drive, 72 K5. And I had driven it for all that time. I'd been driven, I'd been driving it for 10 years. And it looked like it had been driven for 10 years, been driven hard. I did a lot of stuff with that truck. Did drag racing with it. At one point it had a, in the early 90s, it had a, it had a 496 in it. It hauled the mail quite well. Uh, it was stout enough that it really made a friend of mine mad. He had a big block Camaro that I towed to the racetrack and we lined up after we got to the racetrack and I beat him. <laughs> and you towed him there. That's awesome. <laughs> and I, and I towed him there. Um, it was really hard for him to put the car back on the trailer and let me tow it home. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> uh, and I had, uh, you know, I had plenty of best show trophies. It was it was a beautiful truck at one point. It had gotten wrecked at some at one point. We just kind of put it back together so we keep so we had something to drive. And but it was like, I want to make that truck four wheel drive. We got to get out and do what I'm. You know, at this by this point, you know, my wife's bugging me about getting out more, and she knows that we can't go hike because she doesn't have the stamina to do that. Um, so we, I converted that truck to four wheel drive and it's been a, I still have parts of that truck around. We'd actually wheeled it until it was absolutely unidentifiable, <laughs> <laughs> but I have no regrets of taking that truck and converting it to four wheel drive because it set us up for life. We've met some of the best people. I've had some of the best opportunities that are unimaginable. And they were all started because we took that truck and started playing in the dirt with it. Because the, the off-road community, I know it's been said a bunch, is different than any other community I've ever seen or been around. They're genuinely good people for the most part. And then it becomes not so much the wheeling's important, but it's as much about the people. You know, every person that I can genuinely call friend, I've met four-wheeling. Every one of them. And some of them that I didn't meet four-wheeling. Well, they're four-wheeling now. Right. Um, so it's it's all, it, it's, it's, it has been an awesome experience in life. I know that we've talked a little bit about what I've done recently. You know, we sold our house and moved out onto a piece of property with, a, with my best friend. And he and I owned some of that, a bunch of that together and built a house. In today's real estate market, there's no way I could afford to live where we're at today with what I have access to. Um, it's and it's, you know, and I met him for one. Yep. Um, it's really, it, it, 
just the quality of people has been outstanding. And I, and I know you know that. Absolutely. But I know that, you know, you and I have talked about that. You know, we talked about 2009 when you were talking about quitting. Yep. And, and when Shelly came in the picture and you changed your mind, I, I went, you know, first time I went and met Shelly, I just went and hugged her and said, thank you for taking care of Rich. He needs that. <laughs> I did need that. <laughs> I was on a destructive path up to that point. Yes. But you were always fair. You were always honest. And you were always respectful. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I was also kind of a dick at times. <laughs> but you know, you weren't out of line about it. You were just that brutally honest guy that was speaking his mind that right or wrong, it was what was going to be said. Um, at least I never felt that way. I'm sure others will feel, couldn't, wouldn't say that. I can name two or three in that general area <laughs> that might think that. But I'd say the same thing about them, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But kind of back to my professional life, in that, you know, we were a supply house. We, we distribute fire protection stuff for buildings. We do waterborne sprinklers. Okay. So I deal with a lot of rough individuals, a lot of contractors, a lot of pipe fitters. Um, so but at the core of it, if you serve people and you treat them with respect, that's what you get back. And that's how I've always looked at managing people is if you serve them and put yourself in their place, they will respect you. And they will do everything they can to help you. And that was something I learned from my dad. Um, if you serve people, you will get that back tenfold. And I still, to this day, feel that, that, is, that that's an important part of life, is we have to serve people. I've always been wanted to help people and wanted to do something that was big for people, whether they knew it or not. And I feel like my profession does that. Um, we sell a life safety device and, you know, it's one of those things, nobody wants it, but they have to have it. But when they need it, they're glad it's there. So I always feel like I'm part, you know, part of, part of me is serving people and helping people. And this, at this point, maybe I can actually save some lives. Uh, I think that's a big deal. You know, and I know that, you know, I've, I, I own a business called Rocket Enterprises. Right. Um, I've you know I sponsored Kenny Bloom for years. I know that I still to this day consult with several other companies as far as chassis design, suspensions, and different things that you know different things they have questions about or doubts or want to bounce an idea off somebody. You know that, that's that's part of what drove Jake Good and I's relationship was you know we were always building stuff, so we started talking a lot. That's how we built our relationship um, was, yeah, the wheeling was a big part of it, but also the, just the connections that we made, um, just talking about design and stuff was huge. But I started that company in 2003 because the company that I worked for was bankrupt and I knew that. I knew that I needed somewhere to go and I didn't want to relocate. I really wanted to stay where we were. We were First time in my life I ever felt established and like I really had friends and really had a home. I didn't 
So I didn't want to leave. So I began to make myself a place to go with Rocket Enterprises. I started, you know, of course we do, I'll do any, at the time we would do anything that was metal related fabrication. Um, but this, when, of course, we specialized in off-road stuff, but that's how the name came about. Was there, I was sitting around with a friend of mine trying to figure out a name for a new company and didn't want it tied to my name. I didn't want it tied to off-road because um, I wanted to be able to follow the money right. and not be, locked, not be locked into, well, you're just an off-road shop or you're just, you know, or if I sold it or grew to the point that, I wasn't the face guy anymore at the counter that we could, you know, they weren't looking for me. So I didn't want my name on it either. And one of the guys thought, well, this isn't rocket science. So we took a twist on that and made our OKIT and made it enterprises. But I started growing that company and working. And then in 2004, early in 2004, the company that I worked for got acquired by, uh, I'll, I'll give a plug for my, my employer, Ferguson Enterprises. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, we're the largest pipe fitting and valve supplier in the world, not just in the United States. Right. Um, anyway, they acquired us. And I kept plugging away on my business because I was really passionate about it. That's what I really wanted to do. And I still, there was still some uncertainty there because we, I had a, one of the partners from the business that got acquired was in my office. Like, we don't need two managers here. You know, not sure what's going to happen. So I kept plugging away at that until 2000. It was late in 2005. I had had enough of dealing with my old boss. And business was at a point where I either needed to jump in full, jump in all the way to it full time and move in. Or back off and stay where I was at. It's like, I'm not backing off. We're going to do this. But in the meantime, I had a district manager that I technically worked for that I really liked and I really respected. But he was five hours away in Dallas. I called him on, on a Tuesday afternoon. said, you going to be in the office tomorrow? He's like, yep, it's okay. And I hung up the phone. It was the end of our conversation. Um, I was sitting in his office five hours away the next morning waiting for him to get in. And he walked in, he took one look at me and he said, keep that envelope in your pocket. I'm not going to take it. I said, well, you need to convince me why I need to. And he spent the rest of the day convincing me why I need to. Well, I still work for him and he's now the vice president of our division. I would follow him anywhere. And it's that some of that same things that I've always looked at for what makes a good leader, what makes a good manager, he does those things. Well, he does it usually without getting dirty. <laughs> <laughs> That's a smart man. <laughs> That's a good salesman. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good salesman. And uh, anyway, I'm still with him. That's, that's huge. Yeah, it is. And, and, and I'm glad I did. I'm sure you noticed I said that was late in 2005. Yep. We all know what happened in 2007 and 2008. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was late. Actually, it was late 2006 when I did that. We know what happened 18 months later. Um, I probably would not have survived. Not that being in the Midwest that it got that bad, 
that it sure took up everybody's extra spending money. And as a small fabrication shop without very many commercial clients, um, that would have been tough to survive. Right. But on the upside, it's allowed me to keep that business going as a hobby. And I may, I have made just enough over the years to help finance some trips and, and building some of my own stuff. Uh, it's been such genuinely a blessing uh, that I get to do what I'm passionate about, both professionally and for a hobby. Um, I really feel like if I had made it, taken my, taken rocket to what its potential was, um, that I really would have lost interest in my hobby. I, I genuinely feel that. And some of that's from some of the big builds I've done since then. I know that, I, I know you remember Dan Gable? Yes. He came to me and wanted to build a, he was really trying to get Jason Polly to build him a car. But at that time, this was in 2007, you know, they had a, they had a three-year backlog. So right. I don't want to wait through, I don't want to wait three years. He says, do you want to build one? I was like, sure, we can do that. And it started out that we were just going to do a rolling chassis. And he paid for it up front. And because he wanted, you know, end of the year, he's trying to spend money. <laughs> so I, I uh, took that. And the more I thought about it, knowing the time constraints that were going to be put on that and the time involved in doing that, I almost cashed the check and took it back and handed it back to him. And I convinced myself, I just told myself, you know, you may never get the opportunity to build a car at this level again in your life. Um, so I did. So we built a Twisted Customs knockoff um, that performed very, very well. I finished that car on a Saturday. He loaded it in a trailer and he took it to Art Rock and ran against uh, Brandon Bloom and Derek West. On their, on their, on their, I forget what class they were running on Sunday, but they were doing one class on Saturday and another one on Sunday. Tom Wombles called me uh, while they were tallying the, the totals for the day um, to do their award ceremony. He says, "What do you do this car?" I said, "What do you mean? What I do this car?" He said, "I could smell the paint when he opened the trailer, and they just won." I said, I didn't, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, but hey, it's just a car that we put together. And, uh, but I felt that was quite the honor to get, to actually get a call from a promoter going, hey, what'd you do? Um, I got real nervous at Grand Nationals the next year, because that's where you had the Grand Nationals was at our rock. Jason right. Polly was there. And I walked up to the car, I walked up to that car. And Jason's laying down underneath it. And you talk about an anxious moment for me. <laughs> you know, because I, I have always admired Jason and, and looked at, at, at him as a, as, a, as a mentor for me, as a fabricator, uh, just for the quality of what you want to do and how, you know, things need to be a certain way. And I've, I've, so, I've, you know, I felt like, hey, my... Not only, is my, not only do I have a mentor looking at something I built, 
I copied his basic design because that's what the owner of the car wanted. So there's a lot of pressure there about what's he think of this? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and he stood back up and he dusted himself off and he shook my hand and he said, that is the nicest knockoff I've ever seen. And you did some things that I'm going to start doing. <laughs> Excellent. So I really felt like that was a, that was quite an eye opening experience that, Hey, I'm, I, I really am as good as everybody thinks I am. I'm just a knucklehead, knuckle dragon fabricator that builds stuff. Um, but that's when I started taking myself a little more serious as far as partaking more in conversations about design. Um, Cause I, you know, it's what really got me into competition was I started going, I mean, I went to, I started going to Pro Rocks and Ramsey Challenge just to go watch and look and see what worked and what didn't because I wanted my stuff to work better. And if I saw somebody's car that did things better than somebody else's, I tried to figure out, is it the driver or is it the car? And if I determined it was the car, I'd go, I'd go, I'd go crawl all over it and figure out what they did and look and figure things out and try to understand what made things work. And then I'd go home and try to build it with my twist on it. And then we'd go to Disney and we'd go try it out. If it worked, great. If it didn't, well, we'd come back, cut it off and do something different. So I had been doing that for, you know, eight or nine years by this point, you know, and my blazer had been through so many renditions, um, you know, all the way up to where it was a, at that point. Uh, by 2004, it was a, uh, it was down to just a cab truck because we had just literally beat the truck to death. Um, but kept it, putting it together and, and using it. And then when we, Kenny built his skinny car in 2004, we were out doing testing. We we're out doing a, te- a test run for after we got it done, and he was spanking me everywhere we went. And I was like, I got to do something different. So I parked the truck and I went to work gathering parts and saving money to build a new car. And I disassembled it, used as much of the drivetrain as I could, and I built the rocket buggy that I still own today. You know, it's I call it the world's smallest rock weld buggy. Because it's small, it's you know it's 48 inches wide in the chassis, it's 105 inch wheelbase, and it's 78 inches wide on rock walls, hmm. and 40s. Um, so it's, but it to, you know it it is not uh, competitive and unlimited today, but all the way up until recent, at least in the pro mod side of things it's always been competitive you know it would have been competitive so i would have raced it um it climbs very well it works very well it's very stable i don't know why it would be stable half the weight is axles tires and wheels on the ground (laughs) (laughs) unsprung weight yeah absolutely phenomenal for rock crawling Yes. Yes. When guys started first talking about putting water in their tires, I'm like, see, I always told you rock balls are your friends. You thought I was crazy. (laughs) 
you know, and I had, in the early days, I had I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with the Wagner Machine Shop crew. Actually, helped them develop a lot of parts. Um, even even part some of those parts are still on my buggy uh, that we because I had helped them come up with ideas for Rockwell stuff when that first kicked off, and I'm still running some of those. Um, that was like oh one oh two, but it's really been it's really been fun. And when did you go to the, when was your first competition that you attended? First one I attended was probably, it was the Ramsey Challenge that was at Birds. Okay. And then the next one would have been our rock at Disney or pro rock at Disney. Okay. And of course, by then I was deep into doing link suspensions and doing different, you know, trying different stuff and really pushing those envelopes about what was, especially for those days about what worked and what didn't. Um, I know in one year we added it up. I had had uh, 14 different suspensions, spear suspensions on my bron- on my blazer, um, trying to figure out something that worked, you know, just trying to make it work better. And for what it was, it worked great. But it's nothing like what we're building today. Right. Although the rear geometry was pretty close to what we're doing today. That part of it worked really well. But it's definitely been a, definitely been a fun ride. I know in, I started working with Kenny Bloom in 2003. That's, I, I think that's when I met you the first time was with Kenny. Okay. At a Cal Rocks event. And, you know, in 2003 and then 2004, Kenny really kicked it into gear and we started doing, we did 22 events that year. Um, you know, keep in mind we're in the mid, you know, central Midwest and, it's a our short closest, drive everywhere. Yeah. Our closest event was in Jellicoe, Tennessee. We were excited to go to Jellicoe because it was only, you know, we could we could be there in 11 hours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or Farmington was about the same. Uh, everything else was, you know, 16, 18, 20 hours away. And then, and I never did, I did only spot it a couple of times for him in the early days. Mostly, you know, as, as a fill-in when Chuck wasn't there or Brusa wasn't available. Um, you know, and then in 2005, uh, we did the uh, East Coast Series with Bill Bailey in the mod stock. Um, right. I was actually using his TJ as a test bed for a lot of parts I was developing for Rocket. And because, you know, because I, I knew that Building stuff is great, and that's where my heart is, but you've got to build parts. That's really where you make a living at. Right. Uh, and building vehicles is just, a, is just a fluff unless you can get where you're doing enough of them that it's profitable. Um, so I was using his Jeep as a test bed for a lot of stuff. We never did do really well. But we didn't do bad either. We were, you know, we had a lot of podium finishes. I don't think I've ever finished third so much in my life. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, Dan and Derek were hard to beat. Yes. Um, we only beat Derek once. And it's just because he had a bad day. Um, but then, toward by the end of the season, Bill kind of lost interest because he was really wanting to do a buggy and go to go to Pro Mod. And 
continue on. Um, but he took a really, really bad role at Boyd at the Nationals in 2005. Um, and that really took the wind out of his sails. After that, he was, he was finished. He just couldn't, he didn't, he just couldn't do it. Have all the respect in the world for that. It was hard to get him back in the seat after that. Okay. Um, and, and that's why, and that's why we didn't see Bill anymore after that competing. Always wondered. Um, I still, yeah, I still talk to him. He's still, you know, he's moved back to Missouri. He's doing really well. Um, but yeah, he just, that, that role really took, just took, just took the wind out of his sails. Um, he's back to doing some trail riding and stuff again, finally, but has no desire to compete or do anything really, really extreme. I'm of the same, I'm of the same mindset. I'm a, I am totally a scenic wheeler. And you know, I'm getting more and more that way. I had taken my wife's K5 that I had built her to Moab and I broke it in half. I broke the frame in half on, on the rim trail. And of course I did a quick guy's trip. It was a three-day trip. You know, it was just a four-day trip. We went out and wheeled for two days and came home. Second day, I broke, I broke, I broke her truck. Um, I was, she was not real happy when I got home. Especially <laughs> when I told her I'm not fixing this. <laughs> <laughs> so we took that truck apart, and by then I'd become friends with Gordon Bailey, doing. Uh, and, you know, and Gordon's a big Bronco guy. And he was wanting me to, he was really pushing me to build a Bronco. And I'm like, Gordon, I can't afford to build a Bronco. That's not in the budget for this. And I said, besides, you want me to build a Bronco because it's not going to be a Bronco. And uh, this was in 2011. In 2011, everybody in the Bronco world was still building old school Broncos. I mean, they were just building just like they were in the 80s. They had better parts. Because they had some really good vendors, but they were still building them. Saying they were still radius arms, still East strong, you know, and they worked okay, but they weren't anything to, to really shout home about. Right. And he's like, "No, you need to build a Bronco." And I'm like, "It's not in my budget." I had a buddy that had a CJ6. So I was going to build that because the price was right. He said, "Well, give me one more day before you go pick that up." And he called me. Says, "Hey, I got something you need to come look at." So he found that old Bronco. He found this, he had, he had a friend, we call him the Godfather. He has, he, he, he has done nothing but Broncos his entire life. He has a whole hillside behind his house full of parts and Broncos and pieces and stuff. He had a tub that he was going to scrap because the doorposts were rotten in it and the floorboards were gone. He said, well, I don't care about the floorboards. They're going to go away anyway. Because I really wanted to build an old school Pro Mod with a full body on it. Um, I wanted to take all of that, all those lessons I'd learned building cars for Kenny and worked on for, for, you know, for Dan Gable. And I wanted to do something to put that on the street. So I built a rectangular tube chassis and did a three link and a four link, made it low, put 37s on it. And, have since commenced to that kind of set the Bronco world upside down. I showed up and 
I'm doing things that just blew all their minds. Right. You know, they're doing trail rides, which is great. I love trail riding. And, you know, I'd be over climbing a wall or going through a giant notch or, you know, and then I'd get in it and drive it down the highway. You know, we'd drive to dinner that night. You know, it might be 15 miles to town, you know, run as fast as we wanted to go and it was comfortable and everybody's like, we got to have some of this. So that really set the bar high and, and Gordon's really stepped up and done a lot of that. But so have some of the vendors. They've really done well. But that has really, I've really taken that truck and started to explore more. Because it does drive so well. That was one of the goals. I wanted to get out and explore more. I didn't, I had gone through phases where I love doing all the hardest stuff. I love trail riding just like we're doing a competition and making those trail rides like a competition because we're doing the, just doing the hardest lines we can find as we're going through a trail. But I also have a passion for exploring and just seeing what's out there. What's around the corner? What's over that hill? It's huge. Uh, so that's, that's where the, that, that was part of the goal behind that truck being, I wanted it, it had to be perform as well on the street as it does on the trail. And that was why we wanted that to happen, was I wanted to be able to go explore. You know, if it's 100 miles to go to a trailhead, well, let's go 100 miles to a trailhead. I don't care. Right. To me, it's all about the experience. Exactly. And that's getting there and getting back or going to the next spot. Yep. Yep. And I'm actually doing my first overland trip next week. Um, I have a... I, since I've built another truck that I can drive and has windows and doors and it's very comfortable. It's big enough to hold my, hold my stuff. Okay. So you're uh, doing an overland trip. Does that mean you're, you got a rooftop tent? I do not. Okay. So you're going to, uh, you're going to pitch a tent though. I, I have an RTT. I have a rooftop tarp. Perfect. Okay. Um, yeah. I can just throw a little frame over the back of the truck, throw a tarp over it and get a place to sleep. Perfect. It's, it's dry, hopefully. Hopefully it's not wet anyway. But so yeah, we're gonna I'm gonna try that out because there's some stuff I really want to do that requires that I spend some nights on the trail. I really want to do Rimrocker and Pocatelli in one big loop. Right. And in, in, in Moab. I really want to do that. So we're gonna try to we're gonna try it out, see what we think. Cool. And we're doing that in the Jeep that I had it at the competition last few weeks ago. Oh, excellent. Yeah. That's an old J10, um, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's a 70 model. It, it is back when they were still calling them gladiators, so it's a, it's it's an original. <laughs> an original gladiator, yeah. Not the full electronic. Not, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not the new uh, whatever it is that they've built. That they call the gladiator. Yes. Yes. Not that they're terrible. They have their place, but not what I wanted. I wanted something that was more me. Right. And that definitely was not me. <laughs> no, you're more old school. I get it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've had, you know, I've, I've gotten where for a daily, you know, cause I have, I have an F-350 that we travel all over the country in. It's an awesome asphalt eating machine. It's comfortable. doesn't care what's behind it. You know, it's kind of like driving your semi-truck. You just push cruise and wake me up when I get there. 
<laughs> yeah, but your AC works all the time, right? Yeah, yes, it does. Okay, I, I you told me your story about yeah, the, the, trip out, so. the the coin. It's a coin toss if my AC in the semi truck is going to work anymore. Today that would be bad because it's uh, heat index today was one hundred and eight. Ooh, yeah. Well, I get to drive it an hour and a half on Thursday, and then I'll drive it an hour and a half on Monday. And then I won't drive it again for two weeks when I take it, pick it back up after Tennessee and head to, uh, to Washington. And then after Washington, it goes to Farmington and then it's going to go to Texas and it's probably going to retire there. Wow. You're going to know how to act like that? <laughs> oh, I'm in training now. <laughs> That's Jake. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that has, but running that F350 has a drawback. Just like the Taj Mahaler, you got to get back to it. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to being able to get in something and just take off from home and drive it there and drive it back and just go have a good time. Excellent. So what else do you have going on? I have uh, a shop that's about half done that's full of stuff. So it's really hard to finish. <laughs> that's it's really making it hard to build new stuff. Uh, I've managed to build this cheap with it like that, mostly because I just haven't had the motivation to work on that part of the shop. Um, I do share that with, and I know you know John. I share that with I share that space with him, and uh, it's like getting married when you combine shops with two gearheads. It's a lot of stuff. Um, you know, of course, I've owned a business for the last 15 years, so it's, it's a it's lot of stuff, real, really a lot of stuff. And when we moved here, I actually purged over half of it. Um, and I'm still purging stuff, but it's all good. I'm really like where we're at. I like, the, you know, I feel like I'm on vacation when I get home. It's, uh, it's a nice place to be. Excellent. And how many more years are you putting in with Ferguson? It will have to be at least 15 because I'm only 50. Okay. Um, I'd like it to not be that long. We'll see. I, I know that one thing I'd like to touch on that we haven't talked about is I know that you know that my wife has is bipolar and narcoleptic. Um, that's why she doesn't have the stamina to do a lot of physical activity. Right. And if you think that you're having issues, if you feel like you're depressed, if you feel like you're manic, if there's something going on, seek out help. And it's not a magic pill. It's not a one and done thing. Um, but seek that help. You have to find a therapy that works for you because the results of not getting that help Literally, it can be life-ending. Um, I couldn't, I, I can't express that enough. Find somebody to talk to, find a therapist, whatever it takes, whatever works for you. It's not the same for everybody. No, it's not. Never is. It, you know, it's it's a big deal. There's been some things in life that have been really hard to deal with. Um, and I've said for a long time that, 
there's two illnesses in life that are as hard on the caregiver as it is for the recipient. And it's cancer and mental illness. Neither one, they can be treated, but neither one has a cure. They can be really hard to live with, not only for the person that's suffering, but for the caregiver as well. Right. So as if you're a caregiver, same goes for you. You've got to have support. There's no way I could do, I would have survived. You know, we're about to have our 30th wedding anniversary. And she started really showing signs of, of her illness when we were like three years in. If you feel like you got an issue or if you're caring for somebody that has an issue, reach out. Find somebody that can help you. Find what works for you. Um, it's critical. I feel like, I feel very fortunate because I've not had to witness this, but I've had to give myself permission to say goodbye a couple of times um, because her health got so bad and that's hard to have to swallow. So, again, it's just about, you got to find what works for you. Um, for me, it's, I've got a really good group of friends that I can share anything with. I can talk about anything or not talk about anything. Because sometimes it's it's not talking about it is as much therapy as talking about it. Right, finding something else. Yeah. You know, I, I know that, you know, one thing I learned with Jake when Amanda got sick was I promised him that I would never ask him how she was doing. If I wanted really want to know how she's doing, I got her phone number, I'll call her direct. And it wasn't because... I didn't care, but it was because I did care. Right. Sometimes when you're in that position, you have to have an outlet that you can have a conversation that doesn't revolve around the other person's illness. Um, it's very important that you get that, that you have that ability because you have issues too. Right. You um, got to, you got to be able to step away for a bit. Yep. You got to be able to step away. And, I loved Amanda like a sister, and that was, you know, that was really hard for all of us, and that was a, you know, that was a big deal. You know, I'm, I live, Jake and I live five hours apart, and when she was at home in hospice, I drove to their house at least once a week uh, just to check on him, check on the boys, check on his parents, and get to hold her hand one more time. Uh, so... If you've got trouble, got issues, seek help. I'm going to say that till I'm blue in the face. Um, I know that it seems redundant, but sometimes it's easy things that we forget about and don't deal with that become hard. Right. So, what else do you want to know, Rich? Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about what you want to do in the future as far as getting out and exploring. What's on your list? I really want to go to Baja. Talked about it for years, have never had the right opportunity. And then, of course, with the ups and downs of the political climate there, sometimes that gets hard, especially when you don't know people that go and are familiar. Right. Um, and I really want to go to KOH again or Actually, I've never been to KOH because 
up until a few years ago, part of my job required that I be at work that weekend. <laughs> oh. So, uh, yeah, you can't miss, you know, your, your only excuses to miss inventory is uh, a death certificate or hospital bed. Right. <laughs> so, uh yeah, going to KOH is not was was never one of those things. <laughs> Should have asked Dave to change the date. <laughs> uh, Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I could do that now. I'm in a different position, a different role. I could, I could make that. I could, I could take care of that now. But, Good. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Derek's retired. Kenny's retired, so I really have – I've lost some of that drive for some of that. Right. Um, just because, again, you know, the sport is great, but it also comes back to the people. So that that's part of that as well. And then really that's what keeps, keeps me coming back to the competitions. I love the competitions, and I love being there, but it's also about the people. You know, it's it, it does me uh, – it makes me very happy to get to see you and Shelly and, and the other racers as well. It's been, it's been a big deal. I was at uh, super celebration Bronco super celebration West, which is just a big car show basically uh, last was a year, year and a half ago. And I stand there leaning up talking to this guy and Brad level pulls in, in his Bronco and he jumps out and he looks at me and says, Man, where have you been for twenty years? <laughs> um, so you know you get, <laughs> yeah, I've been around. Uh, so the, those relationships carry with you. You just sometimes you got to reach out. Um, and I'm, and then there's times like, you know, Rangeley's this coming weekend. I had it on my work calendar, correct? I had it on my trip notes for my trip to Colorado next week. Next weekend. <laughs> um, and I had made some commitments for this weekend that I would really feel bad if I canceled. Right. Because uh, there's people involved <laughs> that changed their plans because we were going to be there. Um, so I don't feel like I can bail on that. <laughs> no, nope, I, I completely understand. So I'm going to throw this out. I'm going to throw this out to you. I okay. am going to I'm going to start doing more social runs you might say putting together mm -hmm. trips and one of those trips is going to be a Baja trip and okay. uh when I do that so I'll get in touch with you so start honing your uh, overland skills Okay we'll we'll make that happen That'd be awesome Yeah that'd be awesome cuz you know Baja's been a big deal um I've been done the Rubicon I've been to Fordyce, I've been to the Hammers, you know, I'm really getting where I just really want to get out and explore more. And of course, I'm in Oklahoma, so that means I got to go west. The areas that we've had in the past that belong to the lumber companies that they get, you know, because there was a point when lumber companies in southeast Oklahoma gave control of their land to the state for recreation. I uh, couldn't establish any new trails, couldn't do bunch of those things, but they had roads and trails and stuff that went all over Southeast Oklahoma. Well, the lumber companies changed their policies, 
they dissolve that program to control that control that property, puts dates back up. So we don't have that anymore. Um, you know, bits and pieces of it are still there and still open, but you can't get anywhere like we used to. Right. So I really to make that happen, I really have to go west. So I'll be my my goal is I really every time I drive through Wyoming, I feel the red desert calling. I, there's absolutely nothing there, but I want to go explore it. And there's some more in Montana, Idaho, Utah, Nevada. Um, I really want to go explore. Well, you can go. You can go border to border, all dirt roads, except for maybe well, a couple of paved bridges. Yeah. Um, in fact, on this trip coming up, we're going to follow the tat for good ways. Oh, good. That's one of my um, goals for uh, hopefully maybe next year. Cool. When you do that, give me a shout. I'll, I have I have driven most all of it in Oklahoma, a good chunk of it in Arkansas, and the little bit that's in New Mexico and the southern part of or the southeastern part of Colorado. The stuff in Colorado and New Mexico, I actually towed my towed through there. I didn't just I didn't try didn't drive a truck. Um <laughs> You get some really funny, funny looks from ranchers when you're driving through some of those some of those back roads back through there, with a two car trailer and two jeeps on it. They look at you like you're really lost. <laughs> <laughs> I get that look a lot from people. <laughs> <laughs> like, where does this guy think he's going? Um, yeah, uh, it's it's incredible when you get you know some just and then some of them want to talk to you. Oh, absolutely, because they never see anybody. Yeah, I've had some of them wave me down when we're out, especially out there where we're doing something weird like that. And they're like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Something going on? But they're usually just, they're just curious because they haven't seen anybody in a couple of days. Right. Yeah, the tats on my, the tat, the Trans-American Trail is what we're talking about. It goes from uh, Georgia to Oregon, and there's offshoots in various states. But that is uh, an off-road trail that is, uh, it's been scouted out, has been run a million times by different people. It started off as a motorcycle trail. And that's uh, one of the things that I want to do. I also want to forge my own path through Montana into Idaho that is not what uh, the standard course is now. I've got a route mapped out that... uh, is different from what everybody else has driven. I have no idea if it's drivable or not because during the summer, you know, I'm always been busy doing events and traveling back and forth right. across the country, and I am not going to be able to do Montana in the winter. So, um, no, that wouldn't be advisable. No, not in a Jeep yeah. <laughs> or not in a pickup. <laughs> Maybe a snowcat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say the Raptor won't be very happy with that for very long. No, 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 it wouldn't be. <laughs> uh, and, and I'd really like to go back and explore Eastern Oregon and Washington. Um, I've always wasn't interested in that part of the state when I lived there growing up, just because it was so different than the western part. Absolutely, in um, all ways. Yes, in all ways. And really, once you get out of the Willamette Valley and out of the valley going up to Seattle, uh, it's totally different. 
as far as people and 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 climate geology yeah it's all just totally different absolutely yep you know i mean i grew up in the rainforest i get it you know (laughs) (laughs) by 10 you've got web feet (laughs) oh yes yes and you know i didn't realize how much the weather affects you until i moved from oregon where you know we had you know 200 and 80 cloudy days or whatever it was. I forget what the, I forget what the stats are, but it was huge. You know, we to Arkansas, you know, where you get 280 sunny days. It was just emotionally mind-changing and life-changing um, for me, anyway. Uh, getting away from that dreary, always misty, always cloudy environment somewhere where it was sunny all the time. It was just emotionally, it was a, it was such a change in my life. I lived in Arkansas for a month and I had absolutely no desire to go back except to visit some of my family that was still there. Right. I get it. Um, yeah. I just absolutely didn't, didn't care. And I had opportunities, uh, especially coming out of school, out of high school. I had, you know, I had standing job offers for contractors that my dad worked for. Uh, They're like, hey, when you get to age, just if you want a job, just call me. You know, I could have went there and and actually made a very good living right out of high school, and just couldn't bring myself to move back. And I tried doing, you know, tried getting into construction and some of those things that we did that I knew I could make good money at if I moved. But it was just a different mindset in the industry that I couldn't ever wrap my head around and be accept and accept. Um, it's just a different culture. Absolutely. Yep. You know, what do you mean we're not working today? It's raining. You know, so what? We put on gear and we go. <laughs> 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 you know? uh, yeah, I worked for a construction. I went to work for a construction company right out of high school. And we worked for, I worked for them for six weeks. Out of that six weeks, I worked eight days. And I'm like, um, I got to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I'll starve to death waiting for you guys to say, hey, we're going to work today because it's not raining. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it, it, and there's such a huge difference in in humidity. Like I, I tell people, you know, when I, where I grew up on the, on, in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area on the coast, it could be, if it was 45, 50% humidity, it was raining. Oh, yeah. You know, or like you're talking about the mist. And then oh, yeah. I, I can, I, you know, been in Arkansas and it's 98 degrees and a hundred percent humidity and there's not a cloud in the sky, but you can chew the air. Yes. And, and, you know, and you're swimming in your underwear. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I prefer dry over that heavy chewable humidity. But I don't want it to. Um, I don't want it to be raining. Correct, and that's and I'm same way. I'm getting old and cranky anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I I get it. You know, it's like this this house we built. The I actually air conditioned, heating and air conditioned the garage. When I'm building stuff, I'll go do heavy fab over in the shop, do all the cutting, grinding, welding, all the dirty stuff over there, 
and then I bring it to the house, put it in the garage to do the plumbing and the wiring and the, you know, and the finish up, just because it's it's so much more comfortable. <laughs> right. <laughs> what you accepted at thirty, you don't accept at fifty. Exactly. Exactly. And then I, you don't uh, accept what you what you did at fifty at sixty. Right. And I'm finding that to be more and more true. Yep. Well, cool. Uh, Have we missed anything? Not that I can think of. Okay. You know, other than we need to get together and go do something fun. Yes, I agree. Well, I'm definitely going to be doing the tat, and that'll probably even be before a trip to Mexico or to Baja, unless okay. I go down to race um, Nora, and that's on okay. the that's on the the the. The list, the life list, you might say. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll make well, sure that you, happens. Yeah. And you know the tat passes within 10 miles of my house. Oh, wow. Excellent. So if you need somewhere to, to base for a little bit while it's, you know, while you do something different, it's you are more than welcome. And I know where you live. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like at Room to Park, whatever you're driving. Well, it'll be it'll be the Raptor and the Adventure Trailer. Trust me. <laughs> so, uh, excellent. Yeah. Um, now, Rich, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing what you do in your next venture in life, because and we you know you and I have talked a lot over the years about things that we want to do and things that we've done and and. I'm excited to see you feel like you have the ability ability to do some of the things that you still want to do. It's um, going to be about slowing down and enjoying the road markers. Yes. Yes. It's like, you know, this trip I'm getting ready to take, we talked about it. A good friend of mine lives, you know, half mile down the road is going with me. I didn't, because I, I was planning on taking this trip by myself. And he said, because I didn't figure he'd be interested in it because it's not structured like he likes things structured. Um, but he's retired in the last year, so he's kind of backed off a lot of that. He's kind of figured out that there's a whole lot of good and just, yeah, whatever we want to do, it's all good. But he took interest in that, so I extended the trip, and we're going to, you know, the first day we're going to drive 500 miles. But after that... We have no agenda. We got four days to get to your ray nice. from Trinidad. Um, so, and how we are going to get there, I have no idea yet. <laughs> 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 that's, that's likely to change by the minute. <laughs> that's perfect. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for uh, coming on and spending some time with us and, and talking about your life and, you know, aspirations and what you've what you've accomplished and um, everything well, that's you. been involved with that. I appreciate yeah, it. I've, you're welcome. You know, I've always just been that quiet guy sitting in the background and not really in anybody's face and just, but always there. Yep. And um, I, that's the way I like it. And so, but it's made me have a lot of relationships over the years that have been very, very influential in my life. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you, right. and uh, thank I'll you, let Rich. you know when we're going to air this. All right. All right. Take care. Uh, you too. Bye. Bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. 
I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.